Hey everybody, welcome to Pedestal. This week is going to be awesome. I know this is going to be a message that is going to speak to so many people because it speaks to so many people that I know, that I've already heard from, even people who are far along in their faith walk um, will benefit from this. It is something that God's really been hitting me hard with the past week, really two past two weeks, but with uh, he, he's given it to me in multiple Avenues, one through a book, one through a message, and one through a small group, men's group that I'm in. That's every week. So, man, I'm excited for y'all to hear this and see what God's going to do in your life through it. So, if this is your first time listening to Pedestal, welcome, welcome, welcome. Pedestal is a community of people who understand that though each human is a beautifully crafted piece of art, we are not the greatest artwork in the museum. In fact, our cracks and fractures are not even worthy of display, yet we are still valuable. Our value, however, is found in elevating the perfect artwork in order to glorify the master artist, our creator, and so we get to serve and live our life as the pedestal, elevating Jesus high, high above all things. So, welcome. One day I was at home working out on my elliptical machine, listening to a sermon on my iPod. Suddenly, I just had to stop. Surrounded by God's presence, I knelt down on the floor and started crying out to God. If you had seen me, you would have thought I was falling apart, but God was putting me back together. I cried for all of God, and His presence became immediately real. Although I'd unquestionably been spiritually reborn a decade and a half ago, it was like I was being born again, again. I've always believed in spiritual visions. I just never had one. Not anymore. I saw a picture as clear as the words on this page. I stood before three lines in the sand. Somehow I knew what each line represented. Line one. I believe in God and the gospel of Christ enough to benefit from it. Like so many others, crossing that first line was easy. Sadly, many who call themselves Christians live here. If there is a God, I want to be on His good side. I want to go to heaven. I want Him to bless me with good health, good relationships, and a happy life. Like the nine ungrateful lepers in Luke 17, once God had helped me, I forgot about Him. Most wouldn't admit that this is all the faith they can manage. We want God's benefits without changing how we live. We want His best without our sacrifices. At the first line, we don't fear God or share our faith. We still love this world. We'll pursue happiness at any cost. The list goes on and on. We, we first-line believers get what we can from God without giving much, if anything, back. Is first-line faith real Christianity? Is believing in Jesus enough? Although God is the only true judge, I'm not sure that simply believing in Christ makes a person a Christian. Honestly, I'm tempted to say no, I sincerely don't think it is real Christianity. Even demons believe in Christ. I worry how many people might be deceived. Instead of truly living as followers of Christ, many lull themselves into a sense of false comfort. What if they're really cultural Christians, false believers? I don't point my finger at others, only at myself. For way too long, I've claimed a belief in God, 
but my life didn't reflect it. Line two, uh, I believe in God and Christ's gospel enough to contribute comfortably. Past the first line are people who believe in God not only enough to benefit, but also enough to give back, as long as it doesn't cost too much. Many first-line Christians eventually cross the second line. If I don't have to change too much, I'll do some of what God asks. If it doesn't hurt too much, I'll get more serious about God. But everyone has their limits, right? Like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, I was willing to go along with the religious rules as long as it didn't hurt too much. There on the floor next to my elliptical, still crying, I realized I was a second-line believer. I'd served Jesus in ministry, but I didn't want too many critics. I'd give up some things for Christ, but being away from my family often was too much. I'd follow Jesus anywhere, as long as the job included insurance for my family. The third line was just inches in front of me. It might as well have been miles. Line three, I believe in God and Christ's gospel enough to give my life to it. Although most people I knew were line one and line two believers, suddenly anything less than line three didn't seem like real Christianity to me. Could I give my whole life to Christ, not only in words, but in my daily life? Verses I'd read dozens of times suddenly flooded into my mind. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Matthew sixteen twenty five and 26. Am I willing to lose my life? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians two twenty. Could I sacrifice my desires, my hopes, my dreams? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel. Acts 20, 24. What would it take to make my life nothing to me, existing only to do what Christ wants me to do? What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3.8 Could I truly count all my earthly possessions as loss, making Christ my greatest treasure? This whole story was... Uh, written by Craig Groeschel in his book, The Christian Atheist, a book that is about believing in God but living as if he doesn't exist. And I highly, highly recommend everybody, 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 no matter if you're a non-believer, no matter if you're just starting your faith walk, no matter if you've been in it for 50 years, read this book. It will challenge you in ways and make you think about your, your faith walk in ways that you've never thought before and in a very loving and caring way. Craig Groeschel is the pastor at Life Church out of Oklahoma City. There's like 34 plus um, 
campuses in like 11 plus states uh, right now. And it is just absolutely amazing. And, and so for those of you who don't maybe know who he is, some of the people who gave this book praise written on the book uh, at the back is Francis Chan, Andy Stanley, Brian Houston, Jensen Franklin, Bill Hybels, Dave Ramsey, and Brad Lominick. So if you don't know Craig Rochelle and you know any of those guys and trust them, then they are backing me on this, that this book is an amazing book that is gospel-centered, that is Jesus-centered, but that will challenge you in amazing ways through the testimony of, of Craig's life and some of his greatest um, downfalls, some of the things that have changed his path uh, in, in his walk in drastic ways that have brought him closer to the Lord based on his downfalls and, and things that he's done wrong. So it's a really, really cool book. I highly, highly suggest you go and read it. But man, does that not speak volumes? Right? Does that section right there not, if, if, if you didn't really get to fully digest it, go back and re- rewind it, listen to it again. It is so, so crucial, so important. And it's something that I'm realizing um, more and more each day. I think God's really been putting it on my heart over the past two weeks that this this is me, that though I have a podcast, though I've served worked in ministry for the past few years, though um, I post about Jesus all the time on my social media and whatever else, and, and I've led people to the Lord, sometimes it makes me wonder, am I a second-line believer? Am I somebody who's there, who's living comfortably? And not, and not saying that I don't give beyond my means sometimes. I mean, there's been times in my life, I remember back when I was working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Western Arkansas, uh, with FCA, you live off of donations, and I remember I had already set up a, a giving system uh, of some people that I was giving to in other ministries, uh, a certain amount that I was giving. And I remember one month, I got as many donations as I was giving out, exactly the number of, of the exact amount of money that I, that I was giving out to people monthly. I got that much in donations that month, and I've, I felt... Uh, convicted, I felt like God wanted me to give that money to the people that I had promised I'd give it to to grow their ministry and that He'd grow my faith in it and that He would provide. And He absolutely did. And that's a story for another time. But I've I've been there where I've given a whole month's salary essentially to, to ministry and to missions, trusting God. And so I, though I've done that once and though I do give beyond my means and though I do oftentimes serve I'm a yes man when it comes to the church. I will almost say yes every time. It's very hard to get me to say no when you ask me to do something. And it may be a good thing. It may be a bad thing. But this is neither of these are tooting my own horns. It's just showing that I it's that I do things that often reflect and make me feel that you know I am a third. I'm willing to give anything and do anything to reach the world for the gospel and to do anything for the kingdom of God. But those are things that are still comfortable to an extent, right? It's uh, Even though I'm, I'm going further in my giving than I really have the ability to and, and going further in my serving than I can, I can usually physically uh, withstand sometimes, it's still fairly comfortable because it, it doesn't push me past, 
past, past barriers that really hold me back. And I listened to a message this Sunday that was so powerful. Uh, it was given at Woodside Bible Church and up in up in Michigan here where we're at. And man, it was really, really good about inviting people to your table. And it, it mentions this, it talks, it really is, is grounded in the story in Luke where, where Jesus is, is at a banquet and he essentially says to these people, like, hey, don't invite people to your banquet that can repay you later. Don't invite the wealthy people. Don't invite your family, the comfortable people. Invite the outcast. Invite the lame, the blind, the disabled. Invite those people, the people who cannot pay you back, the poor, the people who can't pay you back. Because that will show that it's true and genuine and that it's not about a, a personal gain that you're inviting these people. And then he, he, con, he, con, he connected it to the parable where, where Jesus uh, compares the kingdom of God to a banquet and how God invites all these people. And one says, no, I can't because I just bought some land. One says, no, I can't because I just bought some oxen. One said, no, I can't because I just got married. And the the banquet host tells his servants, all right, go out and invite anybody, anybody on the streets, anybody that's out there willing to listen. I want to fill this banquet. I want this place to be packed. I want my house to be full. And so go out and invite anybody and everybody. And so that's what the servant does. And they come back and they say, we've done that, but it's not full. We, or we still, there's still not enough people to fill your house. And, and the the banquet host says, well, keep going, keep inviting, keep inviting. And so the whole idea is is back back to the, the previous Luke um story that Jesus that happens with Jesus where he says don't invite people who can pay you back don't invite your family don't invite wealthy people don't invite people with prestige the focus is not on the restriction who you can't invite it's on broadening who you should be inviting it's on opening your eyes and it's actually it's not about the restriction but it's about the inclusion of it all because so often uh, we we fall into comforts, right? That's that's known. Humans fall into comforts all the time. But the people that we hang around with, being a guy who's worked in ministry, it's very easy for me to surround myself with believers, with Christians, which is awesome. But it also kind of stinks because is my mission not to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Jesus taught us? Is that not the Great Commission? And if that's the Great Commission, then why am I just sitting around a group of, of believers and sitting in there in my comfort zone and in my family who are also believers, it's, it's hard sometimes for me to think, who are my closest friends who are non-believers? I have to go pretty pretty far out. It's not my tight inner circle, typically. And that stinks. That's, 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 that's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching when I think about it. And so it makes me think, man, am I a third-line believer? Am I going and giving my life to Christ? Or am I am I willing to give as long as there's not too much pushback and there's I don't have too many critics, as, as Craig said? Uh, that's that's where I'm at. And in and, and one of my men's Bible studies, we've been doing on Zoom, which is super cool. We've, been, we've got people from all over the country, even one in 
the Dominican Republic who is Zoom calling in every single week, and we're walking through a really good Bible study out of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's just talking about the different areas and different places in Israel and what they mean and their symbols and, and, and what how they were used in the Bible. It's a really cool, really cool um, Bible study. But in, in our group, we ended up going off on a little tangent tangent at the end this past week talking about one person asked me they said I'm interested in if you've ever been discipled who's ever discipled you because they said that they had never been discipled like sat down consistently intentionally like we spoke on uh, in entry number seven that intentional consistent discipling because the Great Commission for all believers is to, like I mentioned, disciple, make disciples of all nations, right? And we always get the baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get that and we do that. We go out and we make it a point to baptize. But how often do we make it a point to make disciples, to train people up like a like a class? Like when you're in a class, you're a student of, of the teacher, you're a student of the rabbi, you're a student of the professor, and they are training you in whatever subject that is. And it, but it, it can't be once or twice or, or just a week long. This has to be over the course of time. And how much more is it when you're, when you're training people, not just in a subject, but in life and how to live according to Jesus? And he asked, so he asked me, he said he had never been discipled for, before. And he asked me, he said, have you? And I said, I've actually not. I've had people in my life who have poured into me once or twice or while I've been a part of their organization uh, for short periods of time. and But especially growing up, no. Right? Growing up, all, I mean, I was in the church uh, all the time. Day in, or every Sunday, seemed like every Sunday night, pretty much every Wednesday all the way through high school from the time I was little. And I had some amazing people, amazing Christians surrounding me, but nobody really ever was intentional about sitting down with me and discipling me and training me in the way that I should go and and showing me what it means to be a believer. They were showing me by example, but not by actually sitting down and teaching me and discipling me. And I said, man, no, I, I really haven't. And, and still to this day, I haven't. I've had people, again, as I've grown older and gotten ministry, while I was in their ministries, we would sit down maybe every week uh, with the whole group, whether it was at FCA or whether it was with the Baptist campus ministry that I, I was with uh, in at Eastern Kentucky University or whether it was wherever, out in Oklahoma when I was out in Tulsa with a student ministry out there where we, we would get in Bible study and do groups. But those were very short-lived because each of those were just one year, one summer, and a year and a half uh, of being there. And it was more of just we want this ministry to be poured into. Um, and so when I think about have I been discipled consistently um, and intentionally for a good chunk of my life by a certain person, no, that's not, that's not, I've never had that. And so then we actually end up asking everybody in that group, and there was, I think, six on that call then. We asked everybody in that group, all strong believers who uh, do ministry or who work uh in missions and, and do different some, some of them are actual actually in ministry and all of them 
without question said no. They've never been discipled. And I said, man, what in the world is wrong with us? What is wrong with Christians today? We think that that somebody saying a prayer and then baptizing them is all there is to the Christian faith, but that is just one part of our Great Commission. It, but the disciples, make disciples, and then teaching them everything that I have told you, that is discipling. That's what we are to be doing. And for all of us who are devout believers in that group to have not been discipled is very heartbreaking to me. And then it makes me think, who am I discipling? And I thought about it and I was like, I've poured into people from time to time. I've reached out to people from time to time. And if anybody has questions, they know that they can come to me and I will always talk them through certain situations. But who have I actually sat down with intentionally, went out of my way, spent my time week by week or day by day or whatever for a long period of time and discipled. Who have I done that with? And I, I, I don't know anybody. I've had Bible studies. I've had Bible groups where where there's been people in there. But those, again, those weren't super long-lived. And that was more of just a Bible study as opposed to a disciple session where we were all kind of inputting as opposed to training up somebody who was less mature in their faith than I am, who 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 doesn't grasp it fully or as full as I do and and God has given me the opportunity he's given people given me people in my life placed people in my life who I could do that with who I've just missed I've been disobedient in that and I believe that that is a sin by omission and so that's something that I've had to repent over that's something that I've had to repent over this past week and be like man what in the world am I doing? Why am I being so comfortable? I'm willing to give. I'm willing to serve, but I'm not willing to make myself uncomfortable and and share the gospel to people on the street who I just feel God leading me to. I always put up this wall. I'm like, ah, but that could be awkward. How do I approach that? What if they don't want to hear about it right now? And I do that, and I, and I put up walls, and I'm not serving my life giving my complete and total life and comfort and everything over to God. And there's also times where I'm not willing to go to people who I'm a little uncomfortable around because I don't know how to minister or how to talk fully to certain people. And I'm very extroverted. But I'm going to be straight uh, straight honest with you right now and open and hope that this is a safe space where you all will trust me and, and appreciate this openness. But some people that I have a hesitancy to approach and speak to are people who are disabled, people who have mental disabilities, who maybe they're not you know completely gone mentally, but people who are functioning, high functioning even to some extent, but especially the little bit lower functioning people who are souls that Jesus loves and that Jesus created and he cares for and he made them exactly how he desires them. But sometimes my uncomfortability, it's hard for me to approach that situation. I never did like those night to shine or or Jesus proms or any of that stuff because I, I didn't really know how to handle myself. I don't know how to interact with people with, disabil- with disabilities, uh, mental disabilities especially. A lot of times, and I, I look at Tim Tebow and I admire him so much because the Tim Tebow Foundation is the one who puts on those a night to shine and and 
and is so intentional with those people. And I'm not saying that everybody is called to minister to everyone, right? But I do believe God crosses, allows people to cross your path. Every person who's crossed your path, God has sovereignly allowed that to happen so that you, your mind can be transformed into what God wants it to be and that you will be willing to approach and love on all of his creation without hesitancy, full-blown love. And I believe it's in 1 John where it says, perfect love casts out fear. And now, see, if I have a, a child... My, I've got this. I've got a child, right? I've got Moses. If Moses was in a basket hanging off the side of a cliff, twenty feet down from the top of the cliff, but a thousand feet from the from the ground, if he if he tips over at all, he's fallen to his death. If that was the situation, I would easily, without question, boldly climb down that side of the mountain. I would do it thoughtfully thinking about how I'm going to make those steps, right? I wouldn't just jump. That'd be crazy. I wouldn't just jump down to him. But I would boldly climb down there, grab him, and bring him up, no matter what it cost me, because I wouldn't even be thinking near as much about my fall as much as I would be about his, because perfect love casts out fear. We understand that. We can get that. We see that. So what what the Bible's saying there is that if perfect love casts out fear, then the fear of rejection or the fear of judgment or the fear of awkwardness or the whatever other fear you may have, that should go out the window when you truly love somebody. So if I love all of God's creation, then I should be willing to boldly go out and minister and reach and care for them. Also, it's very hard sometimes to, to minister and love on and approach people who have hurt me who I'm bitter towards. I, there's bitterness that grows, and bitterness is is the root of all kinds of evil. The bitterness, when bitterness grows, it turns into hate and malice, and God doesn't want that in our lives. And so people who have hurt you, people who have hurt me in my past, I have to be willing to lovingly approach them and care for them. And so sometimes that's hard for me to do. And there have been times in my life where I've written letters to to people who have who have, um, who have really left a mark on me in a negative way. I've written letters and of, of a way to have a peaceful um, reconciliation and, and then not hurt anything back from them. And I think, you know, I've done my part. Okay, I've done my part. I wrote it out. I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. But that's not where I should stop because that's not where Jesus stops. Though we've hurt and offended God with our sin, He, yes, He sends His Son Jesus, but He doesn't stop there. Even though that's way more than we could ever deserve, he sent his son Jesus to take upon our punishment so that we don't have to be separated from him. It's a bridge back to him, but he doesn't stop there. He continues to pursue us. He continues to put people in our life, write, write us love notes through creation, write us love notes through the people he puts in our life that gives us grace and blessings and, and love in a million different ways. He continues to give us life, which is another heartbeat, which is another opportunity to turn our hearts over to him and trust in him wholly. The longer our life lasts, the more of an opportunity we get to turn to him. And so we are to, I I don't know, I just think it's hard sometimes to forgive those people who have hurt me. It's hard to continue to pursue those people and and not just think, well, I've done my part by, by sending out a a 
letter of love and reconciliation. I have to continue to pursue that because Jesus continues to pursue us. I have to continue to invite people to that banquet, as I mentioned earlier. Like that we, that's our goal. We are God's servants. Once you're a believer, you become God's servants to go out and invite people to his banquet. That's what our job is. And am I doing that? A lot of times I'll invite people to church. A lot of times I'll show love to people, but am I inviting them into a relationship with Christ? Am I inviting them to my table? Not just this this uh, metaphorical table of life, like, hey, are they in your life? Are they at your table in life? But actually inviting them over. Inviting them over to my house, the people who are who uh, it, it's harder for me to reach. It's harder for me to love on. The people who are, it's a little awkward for me. Am I inviting them over to my house and saying, hey, let's Let's have a meal and let's just learn about each other. And let, then, as the as the pastor had said this past week, once you've invited them to your table, then you're more willing, and they're more willing to allow you to invite them to God's table, to God's house, to God's banquet. Once you've invited them into your house and grow that personal relationship with them, or maybe it's going out to Starbucks, or maybe it's going uh, inviting them to lunch, sitting down with them and just hanging out. And, and not just getting in this comfortable position where you're where you're talking to the same people. You're going out to eat after church with the same people. You're going uh, out to hang out to the movies, to whatever, on on the weekends with the same group of friends or your family or whatever. But you're you're expanding that. And the the pastor had mentioned this really great point where he says, when when you're an infant, you are your own world. It's only you. And then as you get a little bit older, your parents come into that into that realm of love where you have you bring them in. And then as you get a little bit older, then it's siblings. And then as you get a little bit older, it's your grandparents. And these are all people who who are in your circle of love. And then as you get a little bit older, it becomes your friends and it becomes your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And we continue to grow that as we get older. Our 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 arms and our circle expands. But it shouldn't stop there. It shouldn't get to a point where, okay, now my circle's big enough. The people that I will love on is big enough that I don't have to go out of my way to the people who are uncomfortable because I've got so many people here who who I'm comfortable with that I can continue to just hang out with them. It should continue throughout our life so we can expand our circle in hopes of expanding the kingdom through that. Because if we just stay in our own lane, we can only expand the kingdom so much. And as Christians, we are kingdom builders. We are building the new Jerusalem. We are building this kingdom. And so every person that crosses your path, God has allowed them to cross your path so that you can use your voice, use your love, use your actions to build the kingdom. And it doesn't mean you have to present the gospel to every single person who walks by you. But it does mean that you have to reflect God you have to reflect Christ. You have to reflect that Holy Spirit to everybody who is who walks in your path, who walks by you, who, and, and you have to be willing and open-handed and open-hearted enough to, if you feel a ping, a Holy Spirit ping, as I call it, if you feel this nudge on your heart, saying, "Say the gospel to them," ask them to come to church with you. If you start feeling those things, that you will be open-handed enough to do so. That is what that stage three is about. It's if God asks you to go bankrupt, give 
every single bit of your money like he did the rich young ruler. Ask If he asks for all of your money, are you willing to do that? Where's your heart at? If he asks you to sacrifice your son as he did Abraham, again, he didn't make Abraham actually kill his son, but it was the heart. He wanted to see Abraham's heart, and so was he willing to do it? That, dis- that displays faith, and your faith proves your love to God. God knows your heart, so he knows where you're at anyways. But when you do these things, when you are faithful with what you have in order to give it all up for him, that's how he is going. When he asks you to, that's how he is going to know and really show you where your heart is. Are you willing to give your life for Jesus? Are you a line three believer? Or are you a line one where you're willing to believe in God as long as he's given you blessings? Or are you a line two believer where you are willing to believe in God and trust in Christ as long as it doesn't cost too much? And what I would ask, what I would beg, what I would implore is for you to take the challenge and for me to take the challenge because this, I'm teetering on the two, three line that where I truly believe in some cases I'm in that three, but I really believe there's a lot of reserve. Am I willing to die for my faith? I don't know. That's not a line three believer. And so as Craig says, when you look at it, when when you read script passages, like the story in Matthew 7, where it says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons and do all these miracles uh, in your name? And then God will reply to us. He'll say, I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I believe that's where a lot of these line one and and potentially even many of the line two believers are. These people who say, okay, God, we're doing this in your name. We're trusting you. We are living our life for you. We are even doing miracles and casting out demons and prophesy, and we're doing it in your name. Now, one could even say that a fringe believer or a level one believer wouldn't be doing those things because a level one believer is all about how God benefits them. A level two believer may be doing some of those things, maybe, you know, cast, driving out demons, doing miracles, prophesying, bringing people to the Lord and, and serving in the church and even be pastors Maybe a lot of level two believers or line two believers are pastors even. You ever think about that? Like that's, and these people may be pastors, some pastors who are standing in front of the Lord and saying, and some pretty good pastors that you rely on and you trust on, not these heretical ones, but these ones who seem like they're bearing some of the fruit. Because to me, doing those miracles would automatically prove to me, oh, that's a believer. But that means if you, if you see it here, that means there are people who are living their life who aren't sold out to the Lord, but who are still leading people to the Lord. Because I believe that's the biggest miracle there is, that somebody can go from de- spiritually dead to spiritually alive, death to life, spiritually, that they can go from apart from God to united with God. That's amazing. And so leading somebody to the Lord is the mo- biggest miracle I think you can possibly do. And so when they're saying doing miracles in His name— I envision people who are leading people to the Lord and serving. So this this is not meant to scare you and and 
and forever say, am I assured of my salvation? Do I have, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Because there's plenty of other parts of the Bible that, that give you that, that give you that hope, that tell you, you can be assured if this, if this, you can be assured. But this is just a heart check to say, why are you doing what you're doing? Where is your heart? Are you truly willing to give it all up for me? Are you willing to give your life up for me? And so that is where I'm at. That is, This has been a challenging week for me. Hearing these things from my Bible study group, from this book that I'm reading, this is a challenging week. And so I pray that this challenges you similarly and that this runs in the same vein for you guys and that this message speaks to you and challenges you to come to know Christ and to cross over that third line where you are willing to give your life for Christ, that you know and you believe in Christ so much that your life means nothing to you if it's apart from God, if it's not what God wants you to do, that you can count it all as lost. That's where I pray that you're at. That's where I hope you are, that it is not you who lives, but Christ who lives within you, that you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him. Man, this is good stuff, and I needed to hear this more than anybody. That's why I call these entries, because these are journal entries really speaking to myself that I also hope can benefit you guys some and will speak to you, because I know that no sin is in an island, that there are other people out there who are struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with. I'm not the only one who struggles with what I'm struggling with. So maybe this is piercing you. Maybe this is hitting your heart. I I love that. I'm excited about that because when you are challenged, that's when you're going to make growth. But I encourage you that you can, not by yourself, but when we humble ourselves, then God will become great within us. If we say, God, please just work in me more, I don't want to be a halfway Christian. I don't want to be a a line one believer or a line two believer, which I truly don't know if you can classify yourself as an actual believer if you're line one. And most people in line two probably can't either. It is that line three. It is that total devotion. Many will go down the broad path that leads to destruction, and only few will find the narrow path to heaven. And I believe those few are the people who are willing to fall on their knees, palms up, crying out to God, as Craig did here in, in his visual when he was on the elliptical. Stop what you're doing. Drop down to your knees. Cry out to God and say, God, feel me. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want it to all be for you. Fill me, fill me, fill me. And you may, as he was, you may be a believer. He was a believer for ten and a half decades at the time. He had already received the Spirit, but this was a moment that took him to a closer relationship with the Lord. This was a moment where he could say, okay, I now truly am experiencing the Lord more than I ever have, and I'm going to live completely and unbarred from any uh, uh, command that he asked me to do. And I pray that this is for you all, and I'm sure he still fails. We're not going to be perfect. Craig still fails all the time. I've heard him speech and speak at, at church plenty of times where he still struggles. We all still struggle. We're not perfect this side of heaven. But there is a heart where Moses struggled, Abraham struggled, all these people. David struggled, but there's a heart. David was a man after God's own heart. There's a heart that you have 
that even though you're going to still struggle, it's a constant, it's a, it's coming back to repentance and a constant trust in the Lord and allowing him to lead you in every decision that you make as, as best as you can and asking him to fill you, fill you, fill you, fill you more and lead you in the way everlasting. Man, I love you guys so much. I care for you guys so much. And I, I really hope that this grows the kingdom somehow through you through me as my heart changes, as your heart changes, and as we're motivated to take that next step, man, I am pumped right now. I know that God is doing something amazing through this podcast, and I'm thrilled that I get to play a small role in it. I'm so thrilled that you all are joining me here. So if this message has impacted you in any way, shape, or form, I pray that you will share it with somebody else that you know, whether on Facebook or whether just a direct message to somebody whatever, but especially people that you can think of. Think through people who need to hear this. This is not a message from me. This is a message from God because it lines up directly with scripture. And this is bits and pieces from things that I heard other pastors say this week and my small group say this week that lines up directly with scripture. And this has hit me three times this week, three times. And so if that's hit me three times, then I know that this is what God is trying to get out. So that's what I speak to you guys so let's get this message out and, and grow the kingdom as much as we possibly, possibly can. That is our goal as kingdom builders. So I love you guys so much. Much love. God bless. And I will talk to you next time.